Welcome to the Nerdaplexy Comic Movie Review Show. In this series, we are going to break down and analyze every comic movie released between 1989's Batman all the way to 2008's Iron Man. We are going to track the trends, hype the hits, and dunk on the duds, all in search of the perfect convergence of comics and cinema. Joining me on this epic journey is my longtime friend and frequent co-conspirator, Sam. Jesus Marimba. So sit back, relax, and grab your batarangs as we dive into Batman. We begin with an honest-to-goodness title sequence of a shot of the credits rolling on a black screen flying through a cave of some sort, and eventually we pan out after flying through these caves to see it is a giant bat symbol. It's just really exciting for me in a post-MCU world to see an opening sequence, just one solid shot, just building the tension nice and slowly, as opposed to what we have now where every second is packed in with a thousand Easter eggs and we've got cold opens to start. It's just like a nice way to kind of begin this series, I thought. Before we get into the deep, dark plot of 1989's Batman, let's talk real quickly about our relationship with the movie itself. Sam, what was the first time you saw this movie? Uh, I want to say I was probably seven years old on VHS. (laughs) I was born the year before it came out, so I didn't get the theatrical experience. I saw this movie with my grandparents. I had seen movies when I was a little kid, but this is the first one I remember. And I don't think any of us were ready for the movie that we were about to experience. Uh, They had mostly been familiar with the Adam West Batmans at this time. Uh, They didn't really care for it, but they didn't like anything that we liked anyhow, so it didn't really matter. But that night and for years after, I had nightmares about Jack Nicholson's Joker. I was six at the time, and that like blew up my whole life for at least a half a year. Jack Nicholson's Joker was a lot for a six-year-old to handle. And I got to say, my dude's still looking pretty spooky to this day. I read the beginning chapters of the movie novelization. Weird flex, but go on. And in that intro scene, they have a 14-year-old hooker chatting it up with the police. So you really get an idea of how crooked Gotham really is. Just piles of garbage everywhere, yeah. The look is extremely specific. It knows exactly what it wants to be, and it nails it perfectly. And the Academy Award that Batman did win is for art direction. I mean, it makes sense. This movie looks great. Anton First and Peter Young. We get an extremely good idea of what Gotham City is in that very first opening sequence. Having not seen this movie in a while, at first I was convinced we were about to see the Crime Alley murder. But it turns out it's not a young Bruce. It's just some family from out of town looking like real tourists and get lost down an alleyway and promptly mugged. And then as the muggers retire to a rooftop to count their loot, and while they're there is when we get our first sight of Batman as he stealthily lowers into frame. They talk about him like he's a vampire, which is pretty fun, a couple of different times. Yeah, because they said that Johnny Gobbs got killed, and uh, the one guy's like, oh, he had no blood in his body. And the other guy's like, well, yeah, because he fell off the roof. All of his blood's on the street. (laughs) Those guys were pretty great. Let me ask you this. Did anybody recognize the guy who eventually gets dangled off of the rooftop? He looks like garbage pail version of Sting. Oh, that's Christopher Fairbank, who plays the broker in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> but I prefer garbage pail Sting. I mean, if the shoe fits. 
So Batman comes down. He scares the goons at first, and they shoot him. And Batman does his possum trick, which he does a couple of times through the movie. I don't know if it's a trick or if they're showing what it would actually be like to be hit with a bullet, even in body armor. But he goes down like a sack of taters. And as they turn their backs on him, he springs up and then whoops him up and eventually dangles the garbage pail sting <laughs> over the roof. And in the first of many amazing quotes, says, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. What a way to start a movie, huh? And that was Michael Keaton's idea because in the script, in the book, in the comic, it says, you don't own the night. And he says, I am the night. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. But we do get a couple introductions after we see Batman for the first time. We get to see my boy, Billy D. Williams, as Harvey Dent. It is interesting watching this movie through the lens of a post-MCU world because those things we'll come across in this movie that would be completely apocryphal now that you could never put in stylistic choices or on the day they just decided to change things because Burton's vision was so specific. Nothing like this had really been done to this scale, especially this tone. There weren't really like comic book movies at this time. They made the Superman movies, but those are more traditional superhero movies. Uh, but this is basically not even a Batman movie. If anything, it's, it's more of a Joker movie. And when you got star power like Jack Nicholson, it's not like you're going to waste him on stage. So I, I can understand the kind of shift there between Batman and Joker. And here they have portrayed the Joker as one Jack Napier. And we first see him playing with cards, chilling in the boss's office. And it also appears that he's uh, playing with the boss's gal a little bit too. Hey, 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 hey. Jack in that purple suit looking sharp. Next up, we meet Alex Knox who is uh, apparently Gotham's horniest reporter. He's all about the Batman story. Nobody believes him, so he's on the case. Then we got Lieutenant Eckhart. I don't know, is that a, a movie creation or is there an Eckhart character? I know in the animated series, we've got uh, Bullock. I don't know which came first. I'm like 78% sure that Bullock came before Eckhart in the comics and that Eckhart is basically just a Bullock stand-in. Okay. Well, we see Eckhart, our Bullock standing on the take for the syndicate, and Jack Napier is there to deliver the business, and we get a brief standoff between Bob the Goon and Eckhart, where Jack Nicholson gives one of my favorites when he tells Eckhart to... Better be sure. ...as he's about to draw down on him. And I feel like Burton's experience as a comedic director really plays into some of those moments because they're so big and theatrical. They have comedic beats where the timing of that scene is so perfect. His comedic experience helps the action scenes to really flow and fire. The timing and the pace of them is, is so perfect. Dope quotes. Just throw some dope quotes in there. We also meet up with a couple other folks. Vicki Vale, a former Vogue reporter who did some war reporting, is now trying to make her break on the Batman for a Pulitzer. And the last introduction, I saved the best for last, is Jack Palance. My man is the boss of the syndicate. The role he was born to play. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Old, angry crime boss. Heck, yes. Just to see his stature with him and... Nicholson in the same scene together where he's intimidating because uh, earlier as Jack was fooling around with the boss's gal she mentioned something about him finding out and he said he'll never know nobody's gonna know they're gonna know how would they know 
we see in their very first interaction that my dude for sure knows. Oh, he super knows. What kind of power move is when he 52 card pickups those cards right into his hat? So old Carl Grissom sends Jack off to Jack the off. Access Chemical Company to basically clear the place out. It's a front, so they're going to get all the documents or what have you. And Napier has to go. The boss wants him specifically on the job. Clearly the biggest setup of all time. In the comic adaptation, he says, if the DA gets the record books, we'll be fingered. <laughs> I think he means they'll be caught, but I don't know. Who knows what he's worried about? <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, but it did make me laugh. So we cut to a fundraiser to save the Bicentennial Festival hosted at Wayne Manor, to which Vicki Vale and Knox both got invitations to. Uh, and we see Alfred for the first time bustling around doing butler activities. One of my favorite moments is Bruce Wayne signs a check and then sticks his pen in the plant and immediately Alfred is right behind him and takes him out and puts it on a tray. Johnny on the spot. It's always hard to beat a Michael Caine, but this guy... He was also the guy in all of the previous ones, right? He was in most of the, the, the other sequels, correct? He was in all the Burton Schumacher ones. Okay. He's pretty great. I like the aggressive, nebby, granny quality of this Alfred getting all involved and everything. He's a little bit sassier. He's got more of a tood in a specific way, but I am a huge fan. We're going to have to talk about Alfred's malfeasance a little later, though. Yes. Well, in this case, he's doing his best. He's opening the champagne. He's topping him off. He looks very offended when Knox gives him a tip. But uh, after that, Commissioner Gordon gets a tip from old Grissom. Grimson? Grimson. Carl Grimson. Got it in one. (laughs) Grissom tips them off that Jack is going to be at Axis Chemical. Is that normally Ace Chemical? Am I dreaming? Oh, I see. There is an actual Ace Chemical Company, like, in the real world. I would imagine they had to change it in the movie because it's not a great look for them as a company. <laughs> it's like, guys, we don't, we, don't, we don't just make toxic green goo. We, we make real-ass chemicals. But uh, so Commissioner Gordon is swept away from the fundraiser, and Knox notices... Alfred notices and informs Batman, but not before we get my favorite scene in the whole movie when Knox and Vicky Vale find Bruce's armory with all different kinds of crazy suits of armor. And they're talking about the armor and they're kind of making fun of someone who would have a room like this. And behind them the entire time is Bruce Wayne, who is just reacting to all the things that they're saying. And I watched that scene a couple of times. I had to go back and watch it again and just watch Michael Keaton's face as he reacts to like the shit they're talking about him. It's I like that Knox says uh, he probably doesn't get chicks. They like him for his big charity balls. And Vicky Vale says, And don't leave out his very large bankroll. <laughs> <laughs> Just such a ballsy scene. A recluse he is. Michael Keaton is a charming fellow. That scene, this is why you're a movie star. Bruce Wayne is always described as a kind of genius for like detective work. And he's super smart, very good at martial arts. So people that are like that, that are extremely good at things, are extremely bad at almost everything else knowing extremely talented musicians virtuosos they all act right we don't stay with them long because alfred pops in quickly to let him know that the commissioner was called away and we get a cool scene as we fade out of the shot from behind the very big mirror with a comment uh knox says hey, look at this mirror maybe it should be bruce vane hey <laughs> 
But behind that giant mirror is a ton of really big regular old camcorders. It's, yeah, might see it's got issues. What he does have is a very extremely cool, totally analog bat cave 50 inch crt monitors with floppy disk drives and little cct cameras and stuff that was great i loved seeing all that 90s stuff i feel like that moisture would play hell on all those old electronics it's really drippy (laughs) a lot of cave stuff well speaking of nice and wet we moved to axis chemical plant there's water and steam everywhere they're cracking the safe and there's nothing inside and jack immediately knows this is set up Eckhart comes in with some of his guys. He says to shoot on sight because they're there on the behalf of the syndicate to kill Jack and the whole crew. Not to nitpick, he says, shoot to kill. Know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know what you mean. There's literally no subtlety in what you just said. <laughs> shoot oh, to kill, okay. yeah. That's, that's what that means. So he goes in with a squad of his cops, and then the commissioner comes in with a squad of their cops, all of which the Gotham City Police Department apparently is leather head to toe. Very hot, like, leather daddy bondage stuff. Yeah. It's very cool in this movie, but if you lived in Gotham and saw one of these fools walking down the street, that would be absolutely bonkers. It's outrageous. The cops in the crime boys have a shootout. Lots of chemicals spray everywhere. And then Batman appears, taking out a bunch of the goons, and eventually pairs off against Napier, who shoots at him, and Batman reflects it. I never noticed this until this watch through, but it appears it bounces off of his bracer and shoots Jack through the whole face, cheek to cheek. It looks like the bullet goes through his face before falling in to the big vat of acid. Yeah, that's very nasty looking. In one cheek and out the other, I'm pointing at the cheeks. I would advise to go back and check it out. It looks like they have some sort of squib on this stunt person's face. The way the blood happens, maybe they're just throwing it at him. And I missaw it, but when I first saw it, it looked like there was a squib on a mask or a dummy. It was more gruesome than I anticipated and pretty gruesome for like a six-year-old. <laughs> uh, I think it was PG, though. It's definitely shot kind of like a Burton's love of B-movies. The angles and the lighting, it looks like a schlocky horror film mm-hmm. in, in a lot of different ways. Because, yes, especially when the hand comes up out of the tank and you see the white hand and the black nails and all that. And then again, in the doctor's office, when he stands up and smashes the light bulb, I thought it was some really great physical acting. So I had a question about that. Sure. After he falls in that big vat, uh-huh. what does that run off into? I don't want to spend a lot of time doing, like, plot holes, but if they know someone fell in, you don't think they would, like, try to get them out? Do they think, like, they could just wait for him to run off into an outside waterway? (laughs) It's kind of like, okay, we know Jack Napier's in that vat. We're good. Pack it up, boys. Yeah, if you're Gotham PD, you're like, they don't pay me enough for this. Well, everybody knows that that he's dead. They Multiple people bring up, like, yeah, Jack Napier's dead. People talk about it, but like, yeah, like you it. said, like, yeah, he's, he's, he's for sure dead in there. He fell on that tank of goop. This is a problem that'll take care of itself. He's not coming back from that one. Before we move on, I just want to mention there was a moment when he was working with that doctor where the doctor gestures and says, like, you see what I have to work with? And he gestures to his tools. Did you guys look at those tools at all? Yeah, dude, those tools were wild. Those are the same dental tools that they use in... Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, because it's nothing. It's nothing. It's just like, it's a weird-looking saw at screwdrivers. You can use these tools for dental work or plastic surgery. So, I mean... 
Same thing. If that is actually what he was working with, he he did a hell of a job. He did a bang up job. He may be the best plastic surgeon ever. All I need is a handsaw. Got this egg beater. (laughs) Two screwdrivers. Here's a hammer. (laughs) Well, later that same night, Jack, now after he walks off from the the doctor laughing in in a really extremely chilling... That's when he's really owning it. He pops home for a quick change, does his hair, and walks over to Carl's office. My dude should have won an Oscar for this scene, in which the now Joker shoots his former boss a bunch of times while carnival music plays in the back. Before that, Grissom calls him Jack, and then he says, Jack. Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. And then he proceeds to murder him with many, many bullets. I don't think that's a good way to get your nickname to stick. <laughs> yeah, spread this around. I'm the Joker. Bow, 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 bow. But that means that Joker is the boss because of rules. So back to Wayne Manor. We had stopped in the middle of the night because uh, Vicky Vale stopped over. And Bruce, in the middle of the night, in his hanging boots... He's just doing bat stuff. Get out of here. I do get that. I dig that. So he wakes up and Vicky's on the way out the door. She tries to set up a date and he says he got to go out of town. She walks down the steps and Alfred immediately blows up his spot. Yeah, that's not the worst thing he does, but you're Johnny on the spot with like everything else. You can't take a hint. You don't realize when Bruce Wayne is trying to lose a chick. Yeah, you can't just (laughs) roll with it. No, we're going to be in town. We're going to be here like all day. Yes, and, (laughs) Alfred. Yes, and. Uh, So, yeah, Alfred blows up the spot, and Joker meets with the rest of the crime bosses and goes down and intimidates them all, and then Joy buzzes the one guy who opposes him into a very fried, crispy skeleton, which I vividly remember from my childhood being extremely effective to me then and still now to this day. He's maybe the baddest-ass dude in the whole movie, though, because he gets destroyed at a molecular level, and he doesn't even wince or whimper. He is totally cool with it. Yeah, that's a man's man. It's become a representation, uh, and it's kind of what we'll discuss with later entries in movies, this character resonating with the cultural subconscious in a way that doesn't change maybe again until Heath Ledger. There's a scene in Dark Knight that parallels this where Joker meets all the other crime bosses. Instead of doing the joy buzzer, he does the pencil trick. It's the same scene accomplishing the same thing as informing all the bosses. I'm in charge now. I'm also crazy. Also a great way to showcase I've got toys now. <laughs> yeah, where is he getting those? <laughs> he's got all of these Rube Goldberg inventions. Because it doesn't take uh, long. 30 seconds from this, he's got that boxing glove rig and he's watching the news and it couldn't possibly be made to do anything else but explode his television. Where does he get Joker stuff? I guess he just doesn't sleep anymore, and he just stays up doing gadgets. Uh, we hear later that he is a genius, good at chemistry or something. But to that effect, he does a very cool display where he starts taking out the rest of the crime bosses, and he does that pen is mightier bit and stabs him in the neck with a quill. Then they shoot the place up, 
Bruce Wayne is in the area, and when he notices Jack Napier is still alive, he doesn't react to any of the gunfire at all. His coat gets shot through with a bullet. He has a very singular focus. I thought was pretty wild. And the idea that Vicky Vale, after witnessing that moment, would still want anything to do with his absolute lunatic is almost beyond belief. Everyone else just panicked and ran away, and Bruce is just standing there. It's just eccentric billionaire stuff. You don't notice when people shoot through your jacket. He has a troubled past. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it totally works. So if his crazy behavior wasn't enough to turn her off forever, after this literal terrorist attack um, dips and leaves her there, because he has some bat stuff to do. The next big moment is we see the Joker uh, find out who Vicky Vale is. There's some quotes in here that were used in a Prince song. He also did a companion album to this movie, which he was not asked to do, but just did it because he's Prince. And come on, let's do it. I have something for that. Oh, yeah? Oh, please, <laughs> speak to that. So the producers wanted Prince to write the music for the Joker and Michael Jackson to do the romance songs. Since Michael Jackson was heavily touring, he had to turn it down. But Prince being Prince, he created a character called Gemini that was half Batman and half Joker. So he would credit his songs appropriately to Batman or Joker or Prince. And we get to hear some of these quotes in the Bat Dance song that was a big part of the uh, movie promotion. I highly recommend checking out the video for that. Bat Dance. <laughs> so right before the Joker sees Vicky Vale's picture, they pan over a table with CIA canceled nerve gas operations, which is a taste of what's to come. That was another thing that I noticed first on this watch. And he sees that Vicky Vale and he wants himself a new girl. So he goes ahead and sets up a little party, sets her an invitation to go to the museum. We find out something's amiss when she calls Alfred to let him know that she'll be 10 minutes late to the museum. He says, oh, well, we didn't know nothing about that. And so it's a setup. But she still goes anyhow. Fun fact, the museum is the Flugelheim Museum, which is a take on the Guggenheim Museum. And flugel means wing, you know, like bats have. But also, we get introduced here to the Joker lettermans that all of his henchmen have with cute little Joker patches. If she's going to be 10 minutes late, she's calling Batman's house like way out in the woods, very far out of the city. They don't really like super have cell phones. It's definitely an hour outside of the city for sure. And she's been there, which is interesting because in the dinner scene earlier when he, she comes back, uh, he asks, did you have trouble finding the place? I'm like, this, I, I, I've been here. We, I've done this before. I don't know. Billionaire stuff. Who knows? So they're in the museum. She gets a package that is a gas mask that has notes written in crayon, which is the biggest red flag in the world. And she rolls with it for a while. But then in the Bat Dance, I remember the video had a lot of footage of them trashing that museum. And I believe they play a Prince song on their big boombox, which I'm really in love with. That guy in the gang whose only job is to be the boombox guy. He is absolutely crushing it here. That's his, that's his gig. He tries to fight later, um, and it doesn't go well for him. He mentions a couple of times how he's an artist. He's not doing crime. He's doing art now. There's a real love and a depth of knowledge about what these characters mean and how they are represented. And I think these versions that they put on the screen really helped to shape the next decades, for sure. 
I think all the way until probably Batman's Begins, this is the ideal that had been established. Eventually, Batman comes to break up the party at the museum and gets Vicky Vale out of there. Another cool line is, Where does he get those wonderful toys? He's a fellow admirer of wildly specific gadgets. He gets Vicky out of there, and this is our first time we get to see the Batmobile, the uh, iconic-shaped Batmobile. Batmobile fun fact. An alternate cowl with shorter ears had to be made for the Batmobile scenes since the main cowl got stuck in the sliding cockpit the first time they closed the Harrier hatch. (laughs) That is absolutely great. Um, But we get a very cool sequence where he's doing all kind of showing off the things, a little chase in the city. This part seemed a little bit more overcranked than later when we approached the Batcave. And those long stretches, it looks way more cool. Here it kind of looks stodgy, and you're seeing this giant beast of a car awkwardly meander a little bit. We get that iconic shields up moment later where it gets encased in that cocoon. Later mimicked by the Viper security system commercials, if you remember. Viper, no one dares come close. Um, But yeah, they get out of there, and Batman takes her back to that cave to give her the solution to the Joker problem because he has poisoned various cosmetic products that when used in specific combinations will cause people to be exposed to Smilex gas and then die. It's a very Joker gag. I was actually fooled the first time I saw the toiletries by the bat computer. I was thinking, makes sense. Got to use a little mouthwash here and there. Oh, I'm dumb. That is a really great gag, though, where they figure out in the news broadcast where they're telling everybody that makeup combinations are what kill people. All of the news people look like absolute shit and do so for the rest of the movie. They have no makeup on and they actually are filmed with makeup on to make them look worse, which I think is exceptional. I am so sure that I didn't get that joke whenever I watched this movie. Like, why do they look so bad? But this time it was so obvious. I had no idea there was a cosmetics subplot. I never would have remembered that about this movie. What I did remember is it's time to take a little ad break. So Bruce solves the case, which makes the Joker furious. So he intends to pay a visit to Vicky Vale before unveiling his big plan. And when he does, Bruce is there trying to come clean (laughs) that he is, in fact, Batman. Jack Nicholson has so many great lines in this movie. Uh, One of them is, This town needs an enema. And he also says, I'm of a mind to make some mookie. (laughs) And, Never rub another man's rhubarb. Now that one I happen to agree with. You should never rub another man's rhubarb. Well, when he confronts Bruce Wayne in the room with Vicki Vale, he does shoot Bruce Wayne and then say, Never rub another man's rhubarb. Before which, Bruce Wayne threatens him with a fire uh, poker and says, Now you want to get nuts? Come on! Let's get nuts. I'm also starting a petition to change the podcast name to uh, Let's Get Nuts. After that, and before he shoots Bruce Wayne, there's also that iconic quote. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? He says, that's what I say to all my prey, which just isn't true because he's killed about 10 people so far in this movie, and he hasn't said it to anyone. that's the first time. He says it later, but that was for sure the first time. (laughs) My older brother used to say that to me before he punched me or do something really mean he watched this movie and took that to be his catchphrase so he would give me an indian burn beforehand i'd be sitting in a room playing nintendo and i'd hear him come down the steps and be like do you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight brutal 
Funny you should say that. Speaking of quotes from this movie that I have heard in everyday life, I used to work with a buddy of mine, and if someone took vacation and someone asked him where that person was, he would say, he's at home washing his tights. Wow. Yeah. We get another great quotable here, too, where he says, Wait till they get a load of me. Ah, yes. And these lines are so quoted, especially as being a little kid at this time. A lot of them would resonate in culture and they'd be referenced in cartoons and things. It's one of these moments where you go back and you see the source material like, oh, this is why that was always something people said or this is why I know this phrase. These are the kind of things that I think that got Jack Nicholson on board for this movie because he went hard for this movie. The executives started to try to push Tim Burton around because this was his first big budget feature, he would stand up and be like, no, 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 no. We're going to do it Tim's way or I'm not doing it. So he would leverage his credibility for Tim Burton's vision because he believed in this project. You can tell that he's given 110% in this performance because without Jack Nicholson, I don't know if this movie is is as powerful as it is, certainly, because this was such a sensation. It really kind of changed the way that uh, Hollywood and the rest of the world thought about comics and comic book movies. And who else could lend such gravitas to the making a Mookie line? <laughs> yes. It would be completely ridiculous to hear any other serious actor say it, but when he does, it works. Yeah, if anyone could pull it off, it's Jack. Speaking of something he was doing well, Joker breaks in with another basically press conference and interrupts the mayor as the mayor is trying to cancel the festival. And in a very cool cinematography shot, the monitors in the news studio, you see Joker push physically the mayor's image off screen in an incredible flourish to announce that the festival's back on and he's going to give away $20 million on the street. In in the most obvious setup there could be. But hey, I mean, $20 million, what are you going to do? He said he wasn't a killer. JokerFest 89 is a go, or, you know, whatever the version of time is in this universe. We see Bruce Wayne looking into some facts, because after he encountered Joker at the courthouse, he's been digging into his family. And in a moment, we see a flashback of the fateful scene in Crime Alley, where the now, in this universe, Jack Napier kills the Waynes, and almost kills Bruce. The real monster in this scene is Thomas Wayne because he takes popcorn out of Bruce's bucket and he eats that popcorn with his gloves on. What? It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. That's so weird. It's really strange. See, this is his role models. I don't care if it's cold out. You take the glove off, you take the popcorn, you put it in your mouth, and you put the glove back on. It's not that hard, Tom. It seems like this case, they'd be trying to make it look like a robbery because I thought it to be a syndicate hit for one reason or another. But that was just kind of my take on this. He was way too well-dressed to be just like a run-of-the-mill mugger. Maybe it was one of their guys set it up and then they shot him. It's um, pretty effective, and their body double that they got for Jack Nicholson is impressive. Like, that looks better than DHing yeah. for sure. Yeah, you got to find a guy who looks like the guy. The impersonator. Put some wacky eyebrows on him. So, yeah, we see Bruce see this, and then this might be the sin you're talking about for firing when Alfred leads yeah. Vicky into the Batcave. <laughs> yeah, that was so irresponsible. Just because he likes this gal, he lets her into the most sanctimonious of sanctums. The only other note I have for this is that Michael Keaton's turtleneck kind of steals the show. did take note of that. I was like, oh man, my man can wear a turtleneck. What a time, huh? Turtleneck and jeans was, was a look of the day. 
But I did watch a interview with the author of the screenplay, and he had mentioned he had taken a lot of flack from fans for writing that Vicky be allowed into the Batcave, and uh, also that Jack Napier was the killer of his parents. But he said that that wasn't his decision. They just kind of did that on the day. I feel like that might be a Jack Nicholson thing where he goes, "Hey Tim, come here. Let, let me let me let me tell you something. What if?" The guy who kills his parents was me. Yeah, I wouldn't say. I mean, at that point, what can you say? Because we know for sure uh, later, after the events at the Joker parade, the fact that the final fight happens in the Gotham Cathedral is because Jack Nicholson went and saw Phantom of the Opera during filming, and the final act happens in a church tower. And Jack Nicholson said, why don't we end ours in a church tower? Uh, and he was with one of the producers, and the producer said, yeah, sure, that seems good. We'll, we'll, we'll make the last set piece of set tower. I heard that this was a notoriously difficult shoot as well, as um, some days they would film for six days, which in a normal job you would do maybe like three or four days a week because the setup is so intensive. But they were on such a crunch that they would do six days, and they basically said that they filmed at night for six months, and no one saw daylight for about six months on this shoot and honestly i think it lends to a real like the heightened manic feel of the movie i think everyone seems on edge and a little bit crazy and i think it just helps the movie overall to be honest and these characters seem sleep deprived because after bruce wayne finds out that uh, his parents were killed by jack he drives the batmobile to access chemicals puts the shields up and just kills like a hundred people and blows up a whole factory he's got machine guns on the batmobile and bombs i watched a youtube video where they show the confirmed kills all of which caused by batman i see the number they put on the axis chemicals explosion was nine you have to assume there are more than nine but there are only nine on screen we can't even count Johnny Gobbs. Fingers crossed for the Johnny Gobbs prequel. Johnny Gobbs, gobbing around town. So after he blows up the Axis Chemicals, um, which is a beautiful, and I, I'm so excited to see in this movie, miniatures be used in special effects as opposed to all CGI. Because they showed a beautiful explosion in miniature, and it was so nice to see as opposed to CGI flames everywhere. There is that one scene in the beginning where they have Batman up on the roof and you see his cape kind of go... And it looks a little wonky. They like drew on the film. Yeah, it's it's yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, Tim Burton's from animation, so they might have they might have fixed a lot of things with that. The special effects do look amazing though. They hold up and you can tell that this is okay, we're watching a special effect shot, but it in no way takes away from the whole thing. Because we cut to the parade where the Joker's throwing money and it's a trap. There's huge metal tanks on these balloons. Very creepy Tim Burton balloons for sure. Those are designs that he just had lying around, I feel like. And they're like, hey, Tim, why don't we use these creepy pictures as balloons? He's like, okay, yeah, sure, put them in there, I guess. They also don't tell you that the dollar bills have the Joker's face on them. Because in the museum, Vicky asks, what, what do, you, do want? you want? My face on the one dollar bill. There you yeah, go. So. In the comic adaptation, they zoom in and they show you the Joker's face. And in the novelization, they mention that it's phony. Well, Vicky Vale and uh, Alex Knox are there, and they kind of figure out what's going on moments before it happens. And in a moment, my boy Knox puts on a little like dust mask and grabs a baseball bat out of his trunk and starts wailing on these Joker thugs. I th- I was like, whoa, my dude, my dude, go for it. Another thing about Knox, he's um, not in any other movie, so we got to talk about him now. Right. 
So in the novelization by Craig Shaw Gardner, that is another big difference. They play up that angle of the love triangle between Vicki Vale, Bruce Wayne, and Alex Knox. He's so horny. This could be shown as like a macho show of power, like get in the car, let me get this bat and beat up these goons. But yeah, he goes for it. I mean, she does the right thing and bails on him immediately, but like like he went for it for sure. But Batman does save the day. He swoops down with his bat wing and picks up all the balloons in a very specific balloon grabber, takes them out over the bay. I loved he was flipping all the switches and I was looking at the labels on the buttons and it was volume, click, and then missiles would come out. And I was like, okay. In my head canon, he's just using all of these parts that he found to build this jet. So, you know, he used what he could find. Batman clears the balloons and he swings around and he says, I'm going to finish this once and for all. And in the middle of a Gotham street, starts launching missiles and shooting his machine guns, 50 caliber surface to air bullets. (laughs) Yeah, Batman's diametrically opposed to using guns. But if they're on the Batmobile, it's kind of fair game. On a city street. That meets the criteria. On a city street to blow up parade floats. So he does that, but fortunately, to save the city, the Joker pulls out a very big gun out of his pants and shoots the Batwing down um, with this very fun, collapsible pistol gun. It's a very long gun. It was very long. It was a very long gun. He's also very prideful about taking bullets. Because even in that very first scene where he's fighting those muggers, he lets them shoot him. I'm like, what if they shot him in the eye? (laughs) He's got that Mike Myers vibe. You can run if you want, but he's going to catch up to you walking very slowly. As Joker is taking her up this clock tower, because she shows up to rescue Bruce out of his burning batwing, and he grabs her up, he sprays a little acid on the connecting things of the bell, and... He's got a flower that shoots acid. The flower that shoots acid. And it drops the bell down through the bell tower. Batman avoids it. He's fine. A very fun part of the movie is the Gotham PD has just shown up. The bell has fallen... And Commissioner Gordon shows up with the guys and walks up to the now blocked by the bell doorway and then pushes at it, gives it like three good, real good pushes. And he goes, guys, okay, we can't go up there. Let's go around. And they go back outside. (laughs) Ten years ago when I was a little younger, I could have pushed this two-ton bell. Because he pushes, he looks at it, he goes, God, okay, back back around. Once Batman gets to the top, we have a final showdown. The most elite goons, Boombox Man is there, and he's going to take on Batman. He jumps down from a high vantage, and then he falls right to the floor. That might be my favorite part of the whole movie. He had such confidence that he was going to get the drop on Batman, and he just fell through a hole in the floor. There's a guy before that who does all them flips. Yeah, there was a flip guy. He had a guy doing very many flips, and he has a knife boot. He was flying towards Batman, but lucky for Batman, he's got that thing that comes out of his arm that looks like a spatula. Like a shock pad. That either has some kind of like a tasing capability, or he hits that guy in the nuts with such velocity that he passes out, which I believe can happen. If you're jumping at someone that fast... You could probably mark that man as dead, for sure. He took a spatula to the nuggets, um, the charity balls. And the bankroll. <laughs> and that was, you know, too much. I rewatched that like five times. I was like, yes. That's that Burton comedic timing. Yeah, and then right after that, Batman throws that human down the middle of the belfry and he, he falls and dies. That's Batman's 16th confirmed kill. <laughs> Bat, 16 is a lot, my dude. I will tell you guys that from that moment, the movie takes place in real time. When Joker says five minutes, no, call it 10 minutes, it is one hour and 45 minutes. 
the helicopter arrives at one hour and 56 minutes. So it's 10 minutes real time from when he says that to the when the chopper arrives. If we're counting confirmed kills, Batman has 17 in this movie and Kim Basinger has 22 confirmed screams. Well, there's not much left to the movie. Batman beats all the goons and then just kind of like really mercilessly beats Joker. I mean, he really just... Uh, Joker's not even fighting back. He just kind of whoops all up on him. Wouldn't get a guy with glasses on, would you? This was like the most disturbing part of the movie to me as a child, just watching this this guy get wailed on. It's very visceral, so maybe it was just the violence itself that I was reacting against. Because he wails on that dude. But yeah, he throws Joker off the roof, but in perfect movie trope fashion, both he and Vicky Vale have to lean over to see if he's dead, but oops it oops he's on a ledge. And then they're hanging. The chopper shows up, and Joker tries to fly away, and Batman shoots his bat bolo and wraps his leg around a gargoyle, and the Joker is pulled to his death in a very creepy death scene. Joker laments that they just don't make ledges the way they used to. Yeah. <laughs> As he's stomping them. I don't know how they used to make ledges, but they just don't make them the same way. Creepy death. Joker lying dead and having that creepy laugh. There's a brief wrap-up where we get to see, for the last time, Billy D. Williams, because I don't believe he returns in Batman Returns. No, but he does get to return as Two-Face in Lego Batman. Oh, that's fun. I like that. The producers really wanted Billy D. Williams, and as a stipulation of his contract, he would only do it if he got to play Two-Face. And I guess they bought him out of that, but he did eventually get to play Lego Two-Face. Well, that pretty much wraps up Batman. Um, we see him donate the bat signal, and I guess him and Vicky Vale are fond friends, united forever, never to, from this part, shall they uh, depart. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, but we never see her again after this movie is what I'm getting at. Nope, but Alfred drives away on the right side of his car. Yeah, big pimp in it. We see Batman and the bat signal in the sky. Um, and then we hear that cool score from Danny Elfman just killing it again, as always, from here on hence. Some box office reception. This movie, I don't know if you guys knew this, it was a, it was a real big hit. Yeah. $35 million budget, and they got in the box office $411 million. They made their budget and then some on the opening weekend alone, $40 million. $400 million, that is, what, like $600 million today. So still, still humongous. It was a total phenomenon. Everything was Batman after this movie came out. Another interesting fun fact. At one point in time, Ivan Reitman was connected to the script. Ivan Reitman of Ghostbusters fame. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray was rumored to be attached as Bruce Wayne. Michael J. Fox and Eddie Murphy were both considered for the Robin role. Pretty much everybody loved this movie. One person who wasn't a huge fan of it at the time, Ebert, he only gave this one two stars. He said it had strong visuals, but there was nothing behind it. He said everyone looked like they were asleep, and no one ever reacted to any of the crazy things that happened. So that was his big critique. Rotten Tomatoes. The tomato meter, this is one of 71%. The audience score was an 84%. So pretty well-regarded version. Now, how true is this character to the original comic version? According to Sam Hamm, the screenwriter, he pulled minorly from the original Detective Comics the fact that Gotham City is run by the mob and heavily from Frank Miller's Dark Knight. Uh, interestingly, uh, it was still in the process of coming out whenever they were filming and writing this movie. So there were two issues out that they had read 
And at the time, DC would send Sam Hamm black and white Xeroxes of the upcoming issues. And uh, certainly I would say the Joker pulls heavily from Alan Moore's The Killing Joke as you get this kind of crazy, sadistic villain bent on wreaking havoc by any means necessary. It certainly showed that a darker, a more serious storyline and tone in superhero movies can and will sell, as we'll see in the next 19 years worth of movies we'll be watching. This movie did spawn a myriad of sequels because you can basically say this kind of relaunched Batman as a mainstay of popular culture. They certainly became the Bond franchise of the 90s and 2000s. We'll be getting into all of this. One of the biggest entry points for me for Batman was certainly the animated series, one of my all-time nostalgic childhood things. And I've watched them recently again, and it's just good TV. The Art Deco stylings, um, the themes that you kind of pick up in this and, you know, like the general tone and vibe of Gotham City, uh, it it really pulls from this movie and it's kind of a continuation of it. And it used also a uh, the version the the Batman song the theme song which if I ever need to get pumped up for something that's on a playlist of songs that gets me hyped for stuff. That opening sequence on that show is probably one of my favorite things in the whole yeah. world. And a- All right, so now we're going to get into a segment here that I'm tentatively calling "Who's Your Hero." Who's your villain? So who is it? Now, it doesn't have to be best as in best person, but your favorite and your villain doesn't have to be a bad performance. It could be a good performance or just someone you think is a stinker. We'll each get two favorites. For my villain in this one, I can't think of any bad performances. Pretty much everybody is knocking it out of the performance-wise. So for my bad guy, I'm just going to pick a regular bad guy. I'm going to go with Eckert is a great, slimy, on the take bad cop i really think he's great he's got that nice like a a weird chonky chin that looks weird and stubbly with like a five o'clock shadow on it he's got he's all rumpled smoking cigars he just looks like shit and he's great and he's slimy takes money there's a part where he the commissioner shows up and he just like uh sneakily slinks off in such a great way that i love so he's he's my villain for sure well let me hop off the back of that because now i've had a second to think um for my villain if not the joker i gotta go bob bob the goon bob the goon is maybe the best employee known to man he does some heinous shit for the joker without any questions asked he's all on board he's on board i hate that the joker killed him it was a great moment in the movie but how do you depart from that guy that guy was wearing the Letterman. He was cutting out pictures with you. That's your boy. He was on board before and after he was Jack. When he was Jack, yeah, he didn't care. There wasn't an entire 180 because he was kind of criminally insane before. But after that, to just be like, oh, this is what we're doing now? Got it. Yes. But to make the leap from being a regular old criminal to an insane criminal, Bob was pretty cool about it. Well, he got killed for being too good of a guy because the Joker was the, in that moment that mirrors that Jack Palance scene where he's like rubbing his shoulders and he's like, oh, Bob, like you're my number one guy. The Joker realized, oh, wait, I used to be a number one guy. I killed my boss when I was the number one guy. So Bob's probably going to kill me. And then I think that's later when he messes up that he just shoots Bob right dead right in this. I feel like if you kept Bob alive, the Joker lives to see the sequel. There you go. I think you're absolutely correct. It was his grounding influence. It was his Alfred. Exactly. I think I've got my hero read. Okay, you want to go ahead? Go ahead. Yeah, I've been thinking about it. And right now I'm taking a look at a still image from the movie. Yeah. I think the hero, the unsung hero, 
is the Joker's plastic surgeon. Because I'm looking at these tools, and right. he's got, like, two pair of scissors, some tweezers, uh-huh. and I don't want to go blue, but he's got what looks like uh, a butt plug. I mean, He's yeah. got some kind of, uh, I don't know what this thing is, but it's pretty grisly looking. And a broken pie plate and some dirty bandages. Mm-hmm. He came out of the acid. He had a blast through his cheeks, and with these tools... The doctor completely sealed this up. I mean, he's got a big smile on his face forever, but he, did he kind job. of made it work. That was yeah, pretty effective. That guy, he did, he did, he did what best he could. I mean, all, for all intents I mean, and purposes, my dude was white face with green hair and a bullet through his 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 mug. Give my man some tools. Yeah, I mean, he took the Hippocratic oath. <laughs> he did the thing. See, I, I do think it says to do no harm, but he's doing his best, guys. He's doing <laughs> his best. My hero, who's all, a guy just trying to get by, Alex Knox, reporter. He never, uh, he never gave up with Vicky Vale. He tried every second of every time. He saw that shit was going down. He went for it. He was wailing on these guys with machine guns and a baseball with a baseball bat, and was was really chill about it. Afterwards, came out with a smile on his face. My hero, Alex Knox. All right, folks. Well, I think that's gonna wrap us up for this episode it was a pleasure um we'll get your overall rankings and see if you guys think you want to uh would suggest this movie in just a second next up for our next episode we're going to be going straight down the line and that movie will be it's another 1989 movie starring Dolph Lundgren the Punisher justice with a vengeance Let's get into some final thoughts. Sam, let's start with you. Any any final thoughts on the movie, and do you think people should check it out? There's a little bit of campiness, a little bit of over-the-top stuff, but none of it detracts from the movie itself. It, if you like Batman, you'll love this movie. If you don't like Batman, you, you shouldn't watch it. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> oh. Well, I think I'm just going to go ahead and lean right into it because, like I said, this is one of the first movies I, I I ever saw in a movie theater. And just because of the kind of impact that this had on, you know, Batman movies and uh, things to come and just the way that comics uh, are perceived and could be perceived it really it really changed perspective on what's viable especially to hollywood this movie made 400 million dollars and yeah that kind of appeal it made everyone start to reevaluate and start looking at uh comics and uh i'm really excited to l- look at the repercussions moving forward the resonance of this movie it, this is honestly for a comics fan or like sam said if if you like batman you love this but honestly I, I don't think even if you've never heard of a superhero before i think this is kind of like an urtext and something that anyone who even remotely likes pop culture or or movies at all should absolutely check this one out all right folks well i think that'll just about wrap us up for batman thank you so much for listening please remember to rate review and subscribe it helps us out tremendously you can reach us at nerdaplexypodcast at gmail.com. 
or you can also tweet at us directly at Pod on Twitter. Very special thanks to our social media manager, Dave. Uh, you can reach him over at the Face of Dave on Twitter. He's got some great contacts, so subscribe there as well. And a very special thank you to the cast and crew of Batman. Thank you all for making this wonderful movie that uh, we enjoyed so much. All right, well, check us out next time for The Punisher. And before we go, I'd like to leave you with one little thought to ponder. If Batman didn't take all of Johnny Gobbs' blood, who did? <laughs>